0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Turn your Bibles to Exodus 20. We'll be looking at the fourth commandment this morning in the series on the ten commandments. I've been wanting to spend several weeks because there's so much confusion on the fourth commandment, several weeks just laying the groundwork. Before I get to the application of it, and so this is the third week of laying the groundwork, and um, next week, God willing, I hope to get to the application of this commandment. But uh, the the fourth commandment is verses 8 through 11, but I'm going to read the entirety, and um, today we're looking specifically on the commandment pertaining to the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, but I'll read the entirety of the Ten Commandments from verse 1 through 21 of Exodus 20. The God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid. Oh God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it would bring about conviction of sin today, that it would strengthen our hearts, that the the lost would be saved, and that the saved would be strengthened and sanctified. Please anoint the hearing and preaching of your word. Amen. We're well into the Ten Commandments, and I don't know how many weeks we've been in the study of the Ten Commandments, but I know this is the third week in our study of the Fourth Commandment. The Ten Commandments are a body of law that is distinct from the judicial and ceremonial law of Israel. They are The Ten Commandments are the natural law. They're the constitution of nature, and they are abiding and authoritative today. They ought to be seen as distinct from positive law. Positive law are the laws that come with the covenants. They come and they go. They're temporary. For example, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was positive law, not natural law. The Lord's Supper is positive law and not natural law. They come, these, these ordinances come and they go, and it is to be held as distinct from natural law. Natural law is abiding. Natural law stays. The Ten Commandments are natural law. We've been in the Ten Commandments for four weeks, or for a number of weeks, and in the Fourth Commandment for three weeks. Last, or the first time we were together when I talked about the Fourth Commandment, the commandment pertaining to the Sabbath, the six days of working and the one day of Sabbath rest. The first Sunday we were together is I gave reasons why this commandment is still abides, it's still authoritative, and there's a lot of confusion around it, and I don't think that confusion is terribly necessary, but it is there, and so I'm trying to wade through the issues. And so I gave an argument as to why this commandment has abiding authority. Then second week we were together, I answered the common objections that you received. There's a number of them, there's a handful of them, and I answered them. That was last week. Well, this week, what I'm talking about is I, again, deal with this particular commandment, the fourth commandment, is the shift from the seventh day to the fir- to first day Sabbath. So, you likely know of Orthodox Jews who meet on the seventh day of the week for their Sabbath, and Christians meet on the first day of the week. Why is that? Why was there a shift? And some people actually get caught up in this, and they get caught up in some kind of Uh, kooky groups that go back to the ceremonial festivals and uh, go back to uh, a seventh-day Sabbath, and they they go down these rabbit trails and get very distracted, and I've seen a number of people do that. But what I want to do today is explain why we've gone from a seventh-day Sabbath to a first-day Sabbath. Why do we as Christians meet on the first day of the week as opposed to the Jews who meet on the seventh-day of the week so that's what I'm doing today next week we'll deal with the application there's been application throughout but next week we're going to deal with the bulk of the application now these last few sermons are teaching sermons for the most part they're not applicational sermons as I just noted and they can be a little dense at times so if we turned the air conditioner off here the air would get really dense right And if you turn, it's it's humid out, there's a lot of people in here, so it would get dense pretty quick. And my sermons on these last few weeks have a tendency to be dense because of the topics that I'm dealing with. There's a few things that help with that. One is just staying focused and taking notes, okay? Two is, and this is something you can't help right now, but it's the background of biblical knowledge. I assume some biblical knowledge as I go through this little mini-series on the Fourth Commandment. But if you want to review, the sermons are online and it can help you. Kind of, if you miss a few things on Sunday, that can help, I guess, make the air quality a little bit better, you could say. But it is dense, like the air quality would be if we didn't have the air conditioner on. But nonetheless, it's important to wade through. And don't let the density of the sermon be a deterrent to um, sifting through it. Dense air means you still have to breathe, right? You're not going to hold your breath just because it's dense air. And a dense sermon means you still have to listen and you still have to think. So... Just um, work through it mentally. The Bible says to love of the Lord your God with your mind. So this is an exercise in loving him with your mind. Now as we get into the law of God, one of the things that I've talked about over and again is the importance of going right to Christ when you feel conviction for sin. So you're going to feel conviction for sin as we go through the law of God, as you should. And that's good and right. But when you feel the guilt and the shame setting in, You should be training yourself to go right to Jesus, right to the Lord, right to the Lord, right to the Lord, so that you're not leaving church on Sunday feeling guilty and ashamed for your sin, but instead you're leaving church on Sunday rejoicing and being glad that the Lord has borne your sin. He's paid for your sin. He's atoned for your sin. He's taken your guilt and your shame away. So leave church on Sunday glad and rejoicing for what our Lord has done. And this should be your gut instinct any time in your life as a Christian that you come under the conviction of sin. As you feel the conviction setting in, you should be training your heart to go right to Jesus immediately, and not basking in the shame and the guilt, but basking in the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ by faith. So go to him right away. But today I'm talking about the change from a seventh day Sabbath to the first day Sabbath. Under the old covenant, the old dispensation, there was a seventh day Sabbath. Under the new, there's a first day. We celebrate the first day of the week. We gather and we have our Sabbath and the Jews do it on the seventh day still because their religion is um, basically they don't believe that Jesus has come. Yeah, they don't believe that the Christ has come. They believe Jesus has come. They don't believe he's the Christ. And so they're, they're stuck in the old covenant. But we, as the people of God, are in the New Covenant, and the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day. Why is that? And what is the biblical evidence for that is what I'm going to be discussing this morning. I'll outline my sermon to you. My sermon is six points. Six points arguing why the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day. What happened? What happened? I'm trying to give you an argument from Scripture why the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day. Six points. I'll list the points for you, then I'll get into the first one. The Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day because the law itself is not day specific. We'll see that. The Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day because the new creation has begun. Number three, the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day because the new redemption has begun, and it is greater than the old redemption. Number four, the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day because of the Old Testament referrals to an eighth-day Sabbath or ceremony. That may be a new one for you, and, but I'll, I'll help you understand when we get to that point, the fourth point. Numbers five, the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day because the New Testament indicates that it's the first day. And number six, the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day to the first day because Jesus is Lord of the day. The day is Jesus' day. It's the Lord's day. Let us look at the first point. The Sabbath has changed from seventh day to the first day because... The law itself is not day specific. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath. The commandment itself tells us to work six days and rest on the seventh day, but it doesn't tell us which day is the seventh day. So keep that in mind. It doesn't specify which day of the week is the seventh day. It doesn't say work six days and rest on The Sunday, or work six days and rest on the Saturday, it just simply says work six days and rest. The commandment itself is not day specific. In fact, it is likely that the Jews actually lost track of their days and their calendars, certainly their days and their months during their time of enslavement. As Jonathan Edwards said, it seems that the Israelites in the time of their bondage in Egypt had lost the true reckoning of time by the days of the week. Because they were not free people. They were enslaved people. And enslaved people don't have a Sabbath day. They work every day. And they just wake up in the morning and one day is the same as the next day is the next day is the next day is the day before it is the day before it is the day before it. And that day is we wake up and we do what the slave master says. There is no Sabbath day for slave enslaved men. Only free men have Sabbaths. And so as slaves... They would have forgotten the Sabbath day and would have remembered it no more. Hence the commandment, remember the Sabbath day, for it would have been forgotten in their enslaved state. And the day itself was not specified in the fourth commandment. The day itself was specified before and after the fourth commandment. It was specified in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. He said to them, "This is what the Lord has commandment. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, a holy sabbath to the Lord." So that there's your day indicator. That's how they got their calendar. Tomorrow's the sabbath. They knew it then. Verse 25, Moses said of chapter 16, Moses said, "Eat it today, for today is a sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field." Again, now we have the indication of when the sabbath day is. We have a calendar coming to the minds of the people because God's imprinting a calendar on the mind. But the calendar is not in the 4th commandment. The calendar is outside of the 4th commandment. Verse 26. Similarly says of chapter 16, 6 days you shall gather it but on the 7th day which is the Sabbath there be rest. That is the Sabbath day. There will be none. And so the law itself is not day specific in the 4th commandment. In fact, it's kind of like the second commandment this way. It's kind of like the second commandment. Because remember, if you get to the essence of the second commandment, the second commandment tells you, "You should not make unto yourself any graven image. But if you get to the essence of the second commandment, the second commandment is you shall worship God properly. Well, we know from the second commandment that worshiping God properly includes no graven images, but we know from the rest of the Old Testament, that worshiping God properly under that dispensation included a sacrificial system, it included a ceremonial system, it included solemn gatherings. And so all of that was tied up in the second commandment. But it's the the bare commandment that is the second commandment because that's the natural law. And so once you get to the New Testament, the second commandment and how it's practiced is differentiated from the Old Testament because you don't have all these sacrifices, you don't have all these ceremonial days, you don't have this calendar. The second commandment, you shall worship God properly. The fourth commandment's the same. What you're supposed to do on the Sabbath and the ceremonies of the Sabbath and the day of the Sabbath are tied up with the positive laws. But the natural law is work six days, rest on one. And so the day itself is not specified in the fourth commandment. Just like the mode of worship is not specified in the second commandment, because that's positive law, the day is not specified in the fourth commandment because that's positive law. The natural law of the second commandment is you shall worship God properly, just as the natural law of the fourth commandment is you shall work six days and rest on the seventh. That's the natural law. Sam Waldron helpfully commented on this, and he explains it a bit better than I do. He said, this particular moral law, speaking of the fourth commandment, is composed of two separate elements. The law of nature and the positive enactment. So the natural law and the positive law. The law of nature cannot be and is not altered. So what that means is that Six days work, seven day rest. Seventh day rest is not altered. The positive enactment may be and is altered. The day is altered. That's the positive law. John Bunyan, in one sentence, summarizes it really well. He says, the law of nature calls for time. The God of nature assigns it. God assigns the time, but nature itself teaches that there ought to be six days of labor and one day rest. But God picks the time, and the law itself is not day-specific. The timing of the day comes through the law being positivized, or made positive through positive law, okay? So one might argue, if I say something like that, that the Old Testament day, Sabbath day, is Consistent with the seventh day of creation because, in fact, the seven days of creation or the six days of creation are mentioned with the seventh day Sabbath. So one might argue that the Old Testament day is consistent with the seventh day of creation and God had them celebrate the Sabbath day in the Old Testament on the same day that God rested from creation because God brought he revitalized the calendar after their release from slavery. It could be likely given... That is the case, because the command itself is grounded in creation, and I think it is the case. And that brings me to my second point, my second point. My first point is that the law itself is not day-specific. My second point is this, the new creation has begun. So while the fourth commandment mentions six days of creation, one day of rest, We are living primarily in light of a new creation. We don't live under Adam as Christians. We live under Christ. Adam is not our covenant head. Christ is our covenant head. Adam is not our representative. Christ is our representative. We are not living under the covenant that brings us death, which is the covenant that Adam was under. We are living under the covenant that Christ brought us, which is the covenant that brings us life, the covenant of grace. Adam had the covenant of works and Christ has the covenant of grace. And so you're either under one or the other and as Christians, we're under the new covenant. The new covenant. And the new covenant ushers in the new creation which eclipses the old creation. All things are being made new, and the old things are passing away. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ inaugurated the new creation, not on the seventh day of the week, but the first day of the week, as the New Testament tells us. So Christ rose from the dead. When his works of redemption were done, finished, On the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. God's works in creation were finished by the dawning of the seventh day. Christ's work of creation, or of recreation, of redemption rather, were finished. Resurrection morning. Okay? So resurrection morning is the first day of the week. And guess what? This new creation that we are in has implications for our lives. So as Christ is the firstborn from the dead, and that's the first act, God raising a man from the dead in a body that shall not decay and turn sick. That's the first act. But you and I being born again is another act of the Holy Spirit in the new creation. But the redemptive work of Christ in the new creation was done on the first day of the week. It was completed. He rested, literally, from his works of redemption at the point of his resurrection, which was, is that Easter morning dawned. As God rested from his works by the time of the seventh day dawning. And this comes through in Scripture, actually, we're supposed to actually, as New Testament believers, we're supposed to actually forget the works of the new creation. So so it makes no sense for us to celebrate a a Sabbath like Adam celebrated, because we're supposed to forget the, the, the old creation, rather, and celebrate the new creation. We forget that. So, for example, in Isaiah chapter... 65, verse 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And so if the seventh-day Sabbath brought to mind the works of the old creation, those things are passing away, and we're not to remember them. But we are to remember the redemptive work of Jesus Christ which was finished on the first day of the week, completed by the dawn of the first day of the week when he rose that resurrection morning and appeared to the two Marys. Jonathan Edwards says helpfully on this, there seems to be at least as much reason that we should commemorate the works of this new creation as the members of the ancient Jewish church should commemorate the work of the old creation. So if the first creation stands as the day, the Sabbath, behind the fourth commandment in the old covenant, so the new creation stands as the day when Christ finished his redemptive work, when it was completed at his resurrection, the reason behind our Sabbath in the New Testament, New Testament times. We're forgetting the works of old, the creation of old. And we have now entered this phase where all things are being made new. And we are being renewed even as we have received the second birth and are already partakers of the new creation. And Christ's resurrection was the dawn of that new creation, is the firstborn from the dead. So we have a first-day Sabbath and not a seventh-day Sabbath. Why? Why? Because the law itself is not day specific. That's my first point. My second point is we have a first day Sabbath and not a seventh day Sabbath because the new creation has begun. My third point is we have a first day Sabbath and not a seventh day Sabbath because the new redemption is greater than the old redemption. The new redemption is greater than the old redemption. Our new redemption is in Christ. The old redemption was from the Red Sea, from slavery. God redeemed his people from slavery through the Red Sea. The new redemption is God has redeemed us from our sins, which is even greater through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a greater redemption. And it eclipses the old redemption. The old redemption was... The redemption from Egypt, the new redemption is the redemption from death and sin, which is far greater. And the old Sabbath, under the Old Testament, was actually rooted in the old redemption. So there's two givings of the law. The first giving was in Exodus chapter 20, right after they left Egypt and left the Red Sea. And the second giving of the law is a generation later in Deuteronomy chapter 5 just as they were about to enter the promised land. And at the second giving of the law, it's distinct. The law is the same, but there's a distinction in the 4th commandment. Because at the first giving of the law, the 4th commandment is rooted in 6 days of creation. So it says in Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's the reason for the fourth commandment there. But at the second giving of the law, the reason for the fourth commandment is different. And the reason there for the fourth commandment, Exodus, or sorry, Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, is, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And so there's two reasons given. The first one is in the first giving of the law, which is creation. And the second one is in the second giving of the law, which is redemption. Redemption from Slavery. And like the Old Covenant people, we are redeemed. But our redemption is greater. Theirs was a redemption from slavery to Pharaoh. Ours is a redemption from slavery to sin. And we inherit not the land of Canaan, but we inherit an everlasting life through the pardon of sin. It's a greater redemption. And if the old covenant Sabbath was rooted in one act of redemption, then it stands to reason that the new covenant Sabbath is rooted in the greater act of redemption, which happened and was completed not on the seventh day, but on the first day. Christ rose from the dead, not on the seventh day, but on the first day. So it's like this, as Paul tells us, he compares actually Moses' baptism with Christ's baptism. Moses was baptized in the Red Sea, but Christ was baptized in the ground. And we were not baptized into Moses like the ancient Israelites, we were baptized into Christ. So while Moses baptized the people into the Red Sea and took them through the Red Sea into the the desert, God takes us through the ground in Christ as our baptisms demonstrate. We we die, we are buried, and we are risen again in Jesus Christ. Okay? And so Moses' Sabbath was the day they came out of the sea. And Christ's Sabbath is the day he came out of the ground. They were baptized into Moses and in the Red Sea, as 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2 tells us, we are baptized into Christ who left the ground on the new Sabbath day, which is the first day of the week. And you say, where are you getting this from? Well, Psalm 118 actually indicates this. So Psalm 118, i read verse 22 through 24 to you. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Pay attention to that last commandment. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When? This is the day the Lord has made. Well, what day? The day that the cornerstone whom the builders rejected, or sorry, the day that the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone is the day we're to be glad and rejoice. And the day that the cornerstone, or sorry, the day that the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, as Acts chapter 4, verse 10 through 11 tells us. So the psalmist in Psalm 118 tells us this is the day the Lord has made. What day? The day of the resurrection. The day the stone became the cornerstone. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Psalm 118, verse 22 through 24, tells us the day of resurrection is our day of rejoicing. It's our day of gladness. The new redemption that we have in Christ is greater than the old redemption that they had in Moses through the, par- through the parting of the Red Sea. Jesus parted not the way through the Red Sea this time, but the way through death. And led us out the other side on the day of resurrection, which was the Lord's day, the Sunday, the first day of the week. So the new redemption is greater than the old redemption. The Sabbath of the old redemption is replaced by the Sabbath of the new and better redemption. So I've given you three points right now. Why have we gone from a seventh-day Sabbath to a first-day Sabbath? One, the law itself is not day-specific. Two, the new creation has now begun, so we're forgetting about the old creation. Three, the new redemption is greater than the older redemption. Now, number four. Number four. Why? Why, oh, why, oh, why do we have a first-day Sabbath and not a seventh-day Sabbath? Because... The Old Testament points to a first-day Sabbath with its eighth day. Just pay attention to me on this one. Now, the Old Testament references the eighth day, to the eighth day. The Old Testament references to the eighth day indicates that we have a first-day Sabbath in in the New Covenant. When you operate with seven-day weeks, the eighth day is the first day of the week, right? So if you have a seven-day week, the eighth day is the first day of the week. Eighth-day worship events that celebrate the works of redemption that are fulfilled in Christ point to the first day Sabbath in the new covenant. All of these are religious holidays. So there's, I'm going to list a bunch of them. But there's a bunch of religious holidays in the Old Testament for the Jews that are Sabbaths. They're not the Sabbath of the fourth commandment, but they're Sabbaths. They're feasts, they're ceremonies, they're days of rest. And what did they do? They occurred on the eighth day and they point to the finished work of Christ's redemption. Each one of them that I'm going to list. They occur on the eighth day, which is the first day of the week, and they point because of what they're symbolizing to Christ's finished work of redemption. And these point to when that work of redemption is finally realized, that's when the Sabbath will be. Let me give you a few examples of these. The sign of circumcision, which was a sign of Abraham's justification by God. Justification by God was... Symbolized in the circumcision of Abraham. And his circumcision and every circumcision after it took place on the eighth day of the week. So it was a joyful day because it meant that those sons were in the covenant. And it didn't just mean that the sons were in the covenant, but it was a sign that Abraham had been justified by faith in the circumcision. And so, this point, and this is done on the eighth day, points to our finished and completed work of justification and a sign that we are in the new covenant. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day, or the first day, same thing. Aaron and the priests were fully consecrated on the eighth day, just as Christ's work had been fully received on the eighth day. And just as we are made, were made as priests, or the first church was made as priests unto God on the eighth day, which was the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the eighth day. And so the Aaronic priesthood was consecrated on the eighth day, which is a miracle of God to be set apart for God's service. So the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2 was consecrated on the eighth day when they gathered together. And Christ rose on the eighth day. How about this? The lepers, people who had leper, after eight days of ceremonial cleansing were were cleansed. They were declared clean on the eighth day. The work was completed. And, of course, leprosy often symbolizes sin. So our cleansing was completed by Christ on the eighth day. These are ceremonies and celebrations that they would have. If If a Nazarite's vows were violated, he was... Declared atoned for on the eighth day. Number 6, verse 10. This one is really interesting. The temple was consecrated on the eighth day. Number 7, verse 8. In every subsequent temple, the new temple was consecrated on the eighth day. Why? Well, this is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the new temple, built his new temple on the eighth day. And, when, and by the way, when does the temple come together in New Testament times? On the eighth day. This is the eighth day, the first day of the week. And so we gather together as living stones held together by the cornerstone on the eighth day, just as the temple itself was consecrated with ceremonial feasts and festivities on the eighth day. The eighth day points to an eighth day Sabbath. The feast of the tabernacles was on the eighth day, Leviticus 23, 34 through 39. The sheaf of the first fruits was waved before God on the eighth day, Leviticus 23, verse 11. And Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He rose on the eighth day, the first day of the week. All of these are acts that are shadows of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was on the eighth day or the first day. And all of them are holidays, are Sabbath feasts, are ceremonies, which occurred on the eighth day or the first day. And his shadows of ceremonies and feasts, they point to a first day Sabbath when all of these shadows are no longer shadows, but the sun has now come up. So you're not beholding the shadow of the object, you're beholding the object himself, Jesus Christ. The temple has been built in the New Testament church on the eighth day. Our sins have been justified, declared justified by the resurrection on the eighth day. The first fruits have come out of the grave on the eighth day. We have been cleansed of our sins like the lepers on the eighth day. All of it on the eighth day. Consecrated as priests by the work of God on the eighth day. First day of the week. And all of these events were ceremonies and celebrations and feasts and festivals. Not the Sabbath under the Old Testament dispensation, but Sabbaths, rests and celebrations unto the Lord. So that what do we do on our Sabbath in the New Covenant times? Well, we gather together to celebrate. And, and what? Have the one meal that has been consecrated by God under this new dispensation, which is the Lord's Supper. Gather together for it... As they gather together for feasting on their Sabbath days, we gather together for the Lord's Supper on our Sabbath day. All of these are religious holidays, Sabbaths, feasts, ceremonies, which occurred on the first day of the week, are the eighth day, they called it, and are shadows of a first day Sabbath for the new covenant, which is the, set, the first day Sabbath today. We are in the new covenant, and the shadows are no longer shadows, but we're beholding not the shadows, but the object himself, Jesus Christ. And so they all point to a first day Sabbath. Now all of this is great. I've said that I've indicated that there's several reasons I've given you why the Sabbath is no longer on the seventh day but on the first day. The law itself is not day-specific. The new creation has now begun. The new redemption is greater than the old redemption. The Old Testament refers to the eighth day multiple times pointing to a first day Sabbath. Because the eighth day is the first day. These these are basically signs and types from the Old Testament, pointing to the fulfillment of the type, Jesus Christ. But but what does the New Testament say, you might ask? Which brings me to my fifth point. And my fifth point is the New Testament uses the first day of the week for the gathering of the disciples. So my fifth point is the use of the first day in the New Testament. Jesus himself rose from the tomb and appeared to the disciples on the first day. Matthew 28, verse 1. We've talked about that. When I was in Matthew, he appeared to the the Marys, the two Marys, on the first day of the week. And Matthew points that out. There's a time reference there. Why does Matthew do that? Well, John does the same thing in John's gospel. It's actually quite interesting in John's gospel. Because Jesus appeared to the disciples on the Sunday, the first day of the week. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. See, Jesus, Jesus gathers the disciples on the first day of the week. Every time Jesus gathers with the disciples or gathers the disciples in the New Testament, that there's a time indicator in the text, it's always the first day of the week. It's always the first day. So much so that John and Verse 26 of the same chapter says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So that's the next first day of the week. And he said, Well, eight days later. What are you talking about, eight days later? I thought that would be seven days later. He gathered with them on the first Lord's Day, the first Sunday, the first day of the week, and and then eight days later, wouldn't that be the Monday? Well, no, because the way the Jews counted these things, is is what they would say was, well, Jesus will raise from the dead three days later, but really, in our minds, it's two days later because he rose from the dead not on the Monday, but on the Sunday. So he died on the Friday, rose from the Sunday. In our minds, that's two days later, but in the Jewish mind, that's three days later because that's the way they counted their days. And so in John, when it says eight days later, what it's referring to is a week later. D.A. Carson comments on this in his commentary, and he says, a week later is an idiomatic... So some translations actually translated a week later. A week later is an idiomatic rendering of after eight day, days. The inclusive reckoning brings the action back to Sunday, one week after Easter. It may be a subtle allusion to the origins of Christian worship on this particular day. And so when the resurrected Christ met with his disciples after his resurrection in John, the first time he met with them was on the first day of the week. The second time he met with them was on the first day of the week. Every time Jesus meets with the disciples and there's a time indicator given after the resurrection, it's the first day of the week. It's the first day of the week. When the resurrected Christ met with his disciples, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that it's the first day of the week. John Bunyan commenting on this said, Now why should the Holy Ghost, this precisely, speak of their assembling together upon the first day, If not, to confirm us in this, that the Lord had chosen that day for the new Sabbath of his church. In Acts chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost, the church gathered again. And what do we know about the day of Pentecost? As per the Old Testament, it was the first day of the week. And that was the Jewish church. Because it was in Jerusalem that the day of Pentecost occurred. Acts chapter 2, the Jerusalem church, the Jews gathered together to, what, be with Jesus on the first day of the week, the Sunday, for the day of Pentecost. And then again in Acts chapter 20, this time not the Jewish church, but the Gentile church gathers together on the first day of the week in Troas. It says in Acts 20 verse 7, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. The assumption is they're gathering together on the first day of the week. It's like, it's the first day of the week, so that's the day we gathered. On the day of the week, when we gathered, what? To break bread. So this is what? Second chapter of Acts, the Jewish church has gathered on the first day of the week. The 20th chapter of Acts, what's happened? The gospel's now spread to the Gentile churches, and the Gentile churches are gathering on the first day of the week. And by the way, you go all the way back to Jesus' resurrection on the first Sunday of the the resurrection. The day he rose from the dead, he gathered his disciples. And then on the next Sunday, he gathered his disciples, all on the first day of the week. Jesus meets with his disciples on the first day of the week. Jesus meets with his disciples on the first day of the week. The church gathers for Pentecost in Jerusalem on the first day of the week. And we find in Acts chapter 20 that the church was gathering for the breaking of bread. The Gentile church was gathering for the breaking of bread on the first day of the week. And they were gathering for the preaching of the word because Paul preached a long sermon that day. We're told a little later on, as you know. So not only does the Jewish church meet on the first day of the week, but so does the Gentile church. And to the point where you get to 1 Corinthians 16, a passage that I referenced in last week's sermon, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses one and two, now concerning the collection of the saints is who directed Paul, the apostle, is I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of the week Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. Every day, the first day. Paul doesn't say pick a day. He doesn't say if it's Wednesday for you, that's fine. If it's Saturday for you, it's fine. If it's Thursday for you, that's fine. He says the first day, and he says, is I directed the churches in Galatia? Meaning it's an apostolic directive. It's coming from the apostle himself, the first day. That's when you gather, so that's when you take up the offering. The offering should be taken up on the first day. He says, I direct it. It's an apostolic order. And he says it to the Corinthian church, which is in Greece. You get together on the first day to take up the offering, as you always do. You know they are, They're always taking up the offering. And the way he's saying it, it's as if this is what happens normally on the first day. And not only... Does he say it to the churches in Corinth? But he says, Is I directed in verse 1 the churches of Galatia? Well, that's multiple churches in Galatia. That's Asia Minor. That's a continent away. That's, that's in Asia. Whereas, whereas the Corinthian church was in, was in Greece, in Europe. And so what do you have? Well, you, you have the Jerusalem church gathering on the first day, in the day of Pentecost. You have the, the church in Troas, the Gentile church gathering on the first day in Acts chapter 20. And then you have the Galatian churches, which are multiple churches scattered throughout Asia Minor, gathering on the first day at Paul's directive. And then you have the Corinthian churches, which are the Greek European church, gathering on the first day of the week at Paul's directive. And Jesus, by the way, met with the people on the first day of the week, and the Holy Spirit of God met with the people on the first day of the week, which was the day of Pentecost. It was practiced by Jesus, it was practiced by the Jews, it was practiced by the Gentiles, it was practiced in Asia Minor, it was practiced in Europe, and the Holy Spirit confirms it by coming down on Pentecost, and the apostle directs it. The first day of the week. Jesus rose from the tomb on the first day of the week. The New Testament use of the first day of the week indicates to us that that was the day that the church gathered for worship, was the first day of the week. In fact, when Jesus met with the disciples, it's the only day that's ever referred to. It's the first day of the week. This was the practice of Jesus, to meet with the disciples after his resurrection on the first day of the week. This was the practice of the church in Jerusalem to gather on the first day of the week. This was the practice of the Gentile churches to gather on the first day of the week. The practice of the Asian churches, the European churches to gather on the first day of the week. Is the apostle directed and is the Holy Spirit confirms by coming down on the first day of the week on the day of Pentecost? So why the switch from seventh day to first day? Well, the law itself is not day-specific in the fourth commandment. The new creation has begun, and so we're forgetting about the old creation. The new redemption is greater, and we're in the new redemption. So we're celebrating the new creation, which was Christ's work for the new creation was completed on the first day, and the new redemption was procured and finalized on the first day at his resurrection. And the Old Testament has all these signs that point forward to a first-day Sabbath with its eighth-day Sabbaths in these feasts and ceremonies and these gatherings that all point to the works of redemption And the New Testament indicates that this was the day that Jesus gathered with his disciples. This was the day that the Jewish Christians gathered. This was the day that the Gentile Christians gathered. And this was the practice of a church that spanned two continents and was directed to multiple churches by the apostle. And the Holy Spirit confirmed it by coming down on the first day of the week of the day of Pentecost. So... The New Testament uses the first day as the day of the gathering for the church, the day of worship for the church. And then beyond that, my final point is Jesus claims the day for himself, so it's his decision what day we meet. It's his decision. He gets to decide. And he gave us the example of when he gathered with his disciples for worship. Now, you might say, well, there were times where Paul preached in the synagogues on the Sabbath. Yeah, that was evangelistic work. Paul would go into the synagogues as with some of the disciples and the apostles. They'd go into the synagogues on the seventh day and they would preach the gospel, and the Jews would run them out of town and try and kill them, and some would be converted. But the actual church meetings were on the first day. But Jesus nonetheless claims a day for himself. So in Matthew 12, verse 8, Jesus says, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, it's the Lord's day. He picks the day. Not you, not me, not the elders, not the Pope, not Constantine, Jesus. And so we follow his example. It's the Lord's day. And then in Revelation 1, verse 10, John, who told us that Jesus met with the disciples on the first day of the week, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does it mean he's in the Spirit? He's worshiping Christ on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like thunder, like a trumpet. The Lord's Day. What's the Lord's Day? Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And just as this is the Lord's Supper, this is the Lord's Day. It's a special day. This is a supper that's special. It's not the supper that you're going to have on Friday night with your family, it's not the meal you share with your small group. This is the supper when the church gathers, it's a Lord's Supper. And this is not Friday where it's your day and you go to work. This is not Saturday where you get the chores done around on the yard and the car washed. This is the Lord's day. This is a special day that's been set apart from the other days. The Lord's day. And as the Lord of the day, he picks the day. He rose from the dead on that day. He completed his work of redemption on that day. He met with his disciples on that day. His disciples met with each other on that day. The apostles commended the collection of the offering on that day. The gathering of the church took place across two continents on that day. And the Holy Spirit visited the church as it gathered on that day, the Lord's day. This is the day of the Lord, the Lord's day. It's Jesus's day. You know, in the Old Testament, you worked all week and you gathered at the end of the week for rest. And in the time of the wilderness wandering, they gathered enough manna during the week, especially on the sixth day, so that they could have the manna on the seventh day. But in the New Testament, we gather for manna on the first day and we get enough manna on the first day so that we have it for the entire week because we are living under a greater dispensation, of, a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit right now. We're living on such a great manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, we gather to feast on the manna from heaven on Sunday. And that feast fills our souls for the week to come. So that in the New Testament, we are not working in order to rest. In the New Testament, we are working out of the rest that we have. Because the rest begins at the beginning of the week. And we work out of that rest. In the New Testament, we worked and then our week ended with rest. Or the Old Testament. We're working out of our rest, out of the grace of God that he's given us under this new dispensation. Our work flows from our rest in Christ. Are you resting in Jesus? Well, your good works flow from that rest in Jesus Christ. And I really hope that your family and you learn to schedule your week around that one day, the Lord's Day. As we'll see... Next week, as I get into the more application of this, the Puritans called the Lord's Day the market day for the soul. Why? Bunyan called it. Why? Because, well, why do you go to market? You go to market to fill your cupboards and your fridge with food all week. And the Lord's Day is the day that you go to the market day of the soul to fill your soul with the goodness of God to last the week. This is the day that you give to the Lord. Some say, they'll say, oh, this is slavish legalism. Are you kidding me? You want to call a day with your master legalism and slavishness? This is the day when we celebrate our freedom. I can trust God enough to take one day off and rest. It is the day of free men, of men who have been liberated and set free. And are no longer living under bondage. This is a good day. And it's the day that we gather as God's people to meet with him in a way that we do not meet with him the rest of the week. We gather to meet with Jesus and feast upon Jesus and have the manna from heaven fed to us. So out of this rest in Christ and this fellowship in Christ and this worship of Christ and the manifest presence of God that we have in Christ on the Lord's day, from that springs our work for the rest of the week. Oh, how we need this day, how this day is good for us to set apart this one day in seven so that all life might spring from this sweet fellowship with God in Christ. What a gift from the Lord that he would set apart the Lord's day for us and give it to us so that we were not made for the Lord's day, but it was made for us is a good gift. Let's pray together. Father, we pray to you and we, grate, we gratefully thank you for this kind gift from heaven, the Lord's day, the market day for the soul, the day that Jesus rose from the dead and completed our works of redemption. And we pray, dear God, that you'd forgive us for the times we have neglected this day and we have not remembered your Sabbath. You'd forgive us, you'd bring repentance to our hearts and that we would remember the Sabbath day, and keep it holy for your honor, and even as you designed it for our good. In Christ's name, amen.